uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, we'll read the chapter and uh, review uh, some aspects of what we had seen already. And then uh, I don't plan on covering the entire chapter, but we'll finish Habakkuk next week, Lord willing. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigeonoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. He, his splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Selah. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels or at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Median did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horse on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of the Lord, or for the day of trouble, to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Uh, we can see, uh, even in that prayer and his song, uh, the uh, graphic pictures, the uh, stirring uh, of his soul as he writes those words. 
just three things to pick up on the woes that God pronounced on the Chaldeans, and then we'll move to chapter 3. Uh, the application towards those who are, are proud, and sometimes we see this in, in our own lives, pride often begs a response from those who see it. Pride always begs a response from God. Sometime in the office, sometimes in our neighborhood, sometimes we meet people and we think they are just so filled with pride. There maybe even would cross our mind. I, I hope something happens to them to knock them down a few pegs. I've, I've, I've heard that. That person needs to be knocked down a few pegs. They are sowing seeds to their own destruction. It also uh, reminds us of uh, the greediness and the, the uh, materialistic uh, aspects of our generation and mankind in general. And we saw that picture that the, that the walls cry out, that the beams uh, moan like some eerie house of horrors. This person has his own pleasure in view and not the glory of God and God will punish them. The person has his or her pride in their possessions and, and not in the Lord. And, the, and then finally, there's a, a picture that even in the great powerful army, their, their labor is in vain. We saw historically that it only took 50 or 60 years and the Babylonians and the Chaldeans were gone. Nahum said their whole capital was completely wiped out. So Habakkuk's prayer and song in uh, chapter 3, and as we look at an introduction to it, we'll see the contents, the author, and the poetical style. The, the contents, he says, are a prayer. He says the author is Habakkuk, a prophet. Here, uh, Habakkuk really takes on this prophetic office. He, he is writing a song or a hymn for other people. He's not telling the people what will happen. He's telling people what you should sing, what you should be on your mind, what you should remember. We, we all know that. We get a song stuck, stuck in our minds. I don't know why. A couple of weeks ago, I had this st song stuck in my mind by Gordon Lightfoot. If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. I couldn't get it out of my mind. It would come back to my mind. I haven't heard the song. I haven't listened to the song or anything. But this is what Habakkuk wants the, the Israelites. He wants them to see the Babylonians. He wants them to see God's worth, work. And then he wants them to remember this uh, song. The poetical style, it says, according to Shigionoth, and the word is only used here and in Psalm 1, and, and there's a bit of discussion about it uh, because of the precise meaning. And the, the, the majority of the writers say that, that this psalm is just like what you read. It's like an impassioned poem. It's like, it's like something that has a lot of uh, uh, angst to it. There's force in it. There's Look at what God's doing. He's tearing things down and, and building things up. And, and, and even people look at the final verses and say, oh, how nice. But he's looking at devastation. There's no flocks. There's no herds in the stall. There's nothing left. And he says, but then I'll, I'll rejoice. And that's the example. A word that comes up in the discussion is uh, 
dithyrambic. It, 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 it means something that's, that's like tossed to and fro, uh, impassioned. Uh, it includes speech delivered in an impassioned manner. A reeling song, R-E-E-L-I-N-G, reeling like tossed to and fro. A highly emotional uh, poetic form. And it's not unusual because David sets the tone in the Psalms. Uh, there are named psalms uh, more than what I have, but Psalm 4 through 9. Psalm 4 to stringed instruments. Psalm 5 to flutes. Psalm 6 according to Sheminith. Psalm 7, the Shigion. Psalm 8 according to Giddith. Psalm 9 according to Muth Laban. And uh, these uh, terms were to put them into uh, a form. If I said country music or pop music or this music, it's not like that, but these were definitions uh, of how it was supposed to be done. But remember, it was done in worship. It was done so that these words would be remembered, repeated, and they would also teach. That's an important uh, fact in uh, Habakkuk's uh, message. Worship, repetition, remembering, and teaching. If we uh, look at those Psalms, uh, there, are, there are those characteristics. And Habakkuk finishes to the choir master with stringed instruments. He writes it as a poem. He writes it as a prayer. And then he signs it and he says, give this to the choir master. He can compose something uh, about this. There, there would be a, a familiarity in this impassioned prayer song. Just like the song I mentioned, if I went, da, 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 your, your mind could fill out the rest. Uh, that's the idea. Oh, I like the part where this comes in. I like the part where the... The, the horns come in. I like the part where the violins come in. I like the big crescendo at the end. That's what he's trying to get across. So there's things to note about it because we know that music creates and invokes passion. There's a great error in our worship nowadays because they think music is the key but you can put something with a beat in front of a one-year-old and they'll start to dance. They are not worshiping God. And it's a disgrace in our church sometimes that just music with a beat that gets you going is automatically thought of as worship and that was a great service. I really was moved. Well, you can move a toddler with a song. Music stirs the soul of man. But we have to remember, it's, it's confined. Worship, repetition, remembering, and teaching. The other thing is, in the music, we always need to ask, what is God saying to me? And what am I saying to God? We just sang a hymn, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, five verses, we're done. But do I know that God is my shepherd? And did I tell him I'm thankful that you're my shepherd? Nobody else took up our case. 
Nobody else is patient. Nobody else is as kind and loving and careful as our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we don't sing to feel. We sing to worship. We don't sing to bounce. We sing to glorify the living God. It's passionate. It's passionate. This hymn, this psalm, this song is not disconnected. What were his passions right at the beginning? What were his thoughts right at the beginning? God, what are you doing? All around me, there's no justice. The wicked are overtaking the righteous. There's all this evil and you don't do anything. That's the passion that's still there. That's the passion that's still stirring up because the Chaldeans are coming. Now it's good, it's good in this, that the second part of it is there also. The Chaldeans are coming, but God's going to save his people and destroy the Chaldeans. It's all wrapped up in these words. And you would think, what a, what a scope of a song to, to sing about all that stuff. And that's what it is. It's composed by a prophet. It's truly prophetic. He truly is saying, as the authority that God has given me, I am telling you these things. I am writing this down, and I'm telling you, you sing this song. You sing this poetry. He'd already made his mark, didn't he? God said, write the message. Big letters. So that anybody that runs by can read it. And also that if you read it and say, whoa, look what's going on then you can tell other people. Uh, this is also the truth. This is not a popular song. It's not something that, oh yeah, I identify with that. Love hurts. Uh, yeah, oh, I identify with that. You know, somebody stole my truck. Uh, it, it's not that. This is the, this is the truth of, of the living God. These are eternal truths. This is a prophet speaking eternal truths. This is a prophet saying God's going to come and affect everything around him and affect nations all around and still work for his people and still accomplish his purposes. Once again, a song like this is to be taken lightly because it's truth about God's power and man's reaction at the end. Our goals of understanding and learning from Habakkuk are going to be met. Verse 16, he says, I'm undone. I don't know how to react. I'm trembling. My knees are shaking. My body is just all out of joint uh, because of what's going on. We could, we could hear fearful news like that. What do, what, what do you think the Ukrainians felt? Oh, Russia just invaded our country. What? That, that's the kind of song that this is. That's the kind of picture, but, but once it's all over, we'll get back to normal. And what is Habakkuk says, in the midst of the years, how long is it going to take to put the Ukraine back? How long is it going to take to put nations back that have been devastated? That's the, that's the scope that he sees. Okay, the Chaldeans are coming. They're going to wipe everything out. How long is it going to take to put our nation back together? How long are your people going to be scattered all over the place? So it's music, it's passion, it's, it's prophetic, it's truth, but it's also permanent. It's permanent. We, we, get to, we get to look at it 
almost 3,000 years later, well, not almost 3,000, but, you know, 26, 2,700 years. It's permanent. It's a permanent record. And he describes it, and then here he calls out, we'll see the message, we'll see God's activity, we'll see his reaction. Habakkuk's prayer, verse 2, he calls out again to the covenant God of Israel, and he acknowledges God's message. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. Now, now what does he mean? I heard about it. The Chaldeans are coming. Oh yeah, I heard that. No. How did he hear? How did he understand what was going on? He heard with dread in his soul. He heard with fear in his heart. He heard the message and understood it and processed it completely. It wasn't like, oh, you know, this country invaded another country. Yeah, I heard about that. It's not a casual interaction. I have heard the report of you and your work. Your work, not human work, not anybody else's work, not Democrats' work, not a king's work, not somebody else. The work of the living God, the work of Yahweh is, is his language. And, Lord, I fear. And there's a confession. This honesty of Habakkuk in these things is a very good example because not only is he honest, but he deals with God with integrity. He says, I fear, and that's how you are, God. You, make, you, you, you just make people afraid. You remember the parable of the bad, the bad servant, right? They were, they were given something to, to use until he came back. And what did the last guy say? Oh, I knew you were harsh. I knew that you reaped where you didn't sow and you did this and do that. And I knew you'd be a, a taskmaster. So I just, took your, I just took your coin and I dug a hole and I put it in there and here is the back. And the guy says, you're wicked. You knew my character, but you didn't do anything about it. Habakkuk knows God's character and something is happening in his heart about God's character and about God's work. In the midst of the years, revive it, he says. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now, he's seeing the whole thing. When are the Chaldeans coming? Sometime. When are they going to leave? Sometime. When is it all going to be done? Sometime. You can see policies. You can see things that people do in governments and stuff. And that's what you would say, like I said before. You would say, it'll take years to recover from this. It'll take years to recover from these decisions. It'll take years to recover uh, from the war. You remember any of those cities in the, in the war. Germany bombed London to pieces. And we bombed Berlin back on to pieces. We dropped bombs on Japan that destroyed entire cities. How long is it going to take to put cities back together? that have been relentlessly bombed over and over and over again? How long is it going to take to, to go back and change the Chaldeans' destruction of everything? Habakkuk says, this is going to take years. He doesn't know the time frame, so he just expands it. 
And he says, in the midst of the years, God, in the midst of all these years, this unknown time, please revive your work. Revive your work. There's two things that he said. I heard of your work and revive your work. He's not saying right after the Chaldeans come, I want another work. I want another country to invade us. He's, he's saying revive a spiritual work because he, he, he puts that final thing in there. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. He asked God to be what he always is, just and merciful at the same time. All the studies in the, in the minor prophets, what, whatever can come out, maybe two lessons that we'll learn is that in all God's justice, he's always, always merciful. What, what should I get from the living God? Justice. Straight justice. Oh, disobey the Ten Commandments? What do you get? Justice. Punishment. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you get? Mercy. Salvation. Those Ten Commandments? No, it's as if you kept them all. Well, that's impossible. I didn't. But it's as if you did. In wrath, remember mercy. I have heard the report, and the report went right down to my soul, went right down to my heart. I heard what was going on, and it, 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 physically, it physically knocked me for a loop. That's pretty drastic. He believes it. He confesses it, that he's afraid. And we've seen that also that what he intends to do already. He intends to, to believe. But he also sees the whole picture. Israel is going to be judged, and then Babylon is going to be judged. If you understand the geographics, it's a much smaller world back then. It's a much smaller world back then. Babylon really wasn't that far away. And he sees all this turmoil. God's going to judge us. Then he's going to judge them. And remember, the northern kingdom is already gone. Any prophet speaking in this time of Habakkuk and Jeremiah and Nahum knows the northern kingdom's already gone. We, we don't have to go far to find stalls that are empty and no fruit and no vine and no this and no that. Remember Joel. It's like locusts came. The army came from the north. It's like locusts. They wiped everything out. <coughs> Terrible years are coming and he says, in wrath, remember mercy. The, one of the things is that the exact time that he prays, the exact history we don't we don't really know we we can't put our finger on it and say he said this in in 615 BC and then this happened or that happened it it, it shows us that it shows us that uh, he, there was a, a time that he didn't know he cries out to bring some reviving and work of mercy in these upcoming crisis and and our days are similar aren't they i would i would say that uh, the Bible speaks clearly about the characteristics of the end times. And you would say, well, we've had the 
characteristics of the end times for a long time. And I would say, yes, that's what I mean. I'm not looking for a succession of events. Jesus says you can't. When you see certain things, then you'll know. But the day or the hour, Paul repeats it in 1 Thessalonians. When is it going to come? Like a thief in the night. What are you supposed to do? You're not supposed to work the works of darkness. And we mentioned it over and over, don't we? When, when 1 John, he says, it's the last hour. It's the last hour. It speaks clearly about the, the characteristics of the end times. But that's why everybody's confused, because they're always happening. They're always manifesting themselves in wickedness and earthquakes and wars and this and that. All these different ways. But it's good for us, because what we're supposed to do is just what Second Peter, just what Peter told us. Seeing that the entire world, the, the entire heavens is going to get wiped out in a moment. How, what kind of people are we supposed to be? What kind of people are we supposed to be? More like this, right? More like this than like, oh, did you hear about that earthquake? Did you hear that the, 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 these people went to get war? And that fulfills this. I went to services like that. This fulfills Ezekiel so-and-so. Well, how do you know that? Either the guy's the smartest Bible teacher I ever saw, or he didn't know what he was talking about. It's about how we are supposed to live, and we're going to see that. There's all this devastation, and what does Habakkuk say? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord, because he's the Lord of my salvation. Rejoice! Wait a minute, don't you know that Chaldeans are going to come first, they're going to wipe everything out, and then they're going to get wiped out, and there's going to be turmoil for years, don't you know that? He says yes. And we actually have an apostle that told us that when, when manifold trials come, what are we supposed to do? Consider it how much? James? All joy. Like mega joy. How does he do that? The righteous lives by faith. Uh, what a picture. That's why we tied it in with Hebrews. What was happening? People got thrown in jail. Oh, do you know that guy that got thrown in jail? Oh, he went to my church. That was the danger. That was the danger to say, oh yeah, well, I don't want to get thrown in jail. I don't want people, I don't want people to take my possessions. I don't want to be mocked like, like all those other people. I don't want to be put to shame like Noah. I don't want to be sawn in two or this or that. Oh, no, no, no. You profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. To leave the rest to God. But the righteous shall live by faith. That's why we looked at Hebrews chapter 10. And then here's the description of God's activity, verse 3 to 15. He, he advances a graphic picture of God's activity. And he, he, he just, this language is, is just uh, stirring over and over. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And, and, and this is what we have to see. Where's Teman? 
Where is Paran? Where are these places? That's what we've seen over and over again, haven't we? It puts a place name, place name. What happened to Bethel? Well, it was the house of God. What are you talking about? No, it was a house of idolatry. God changed it. The house of evil, he called it. But he puts those place names, but then also, what does he talk about? The heavens. God works globally. God works locally. God works internationally. The work of the Lord is a universal, global, local work. It's, it's full and complete. Habakkuk is trying to get it across to these people. These are purposes of God. Well, I thought you said, I thought it said right there he came from Teman and Mount Paran, but now we're talking about the whole earth and the heavens. Yeah, that's God's work. That's how he does it. And then right there, as if he's out of breath, he says, Selah. There's three Selahs in there. They, they stop us. It's a pause. And stop. And think what God can do. God came with power to Orlando. God came with power to Miami. God came with power to someplace else. That's, that's what it was. It was right in your face. Oh, I know where Orlando is. That happened to Miami. God came and destroyed it. There's no city of Miami left. That's what happened. God advances, then God stands. Verses 6 and 7. Oh, we're not there yet. Verse 4, after the sea law. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague follow at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. So there's global again. And the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. He goes global and then right back to local. Cushion and Midian. The effect on all the nations. The effect on everything uh, that God did. Verse 8 and 9. God readies himself for battle. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow calling for many arrows. It's, it's God at war. And, and Habakkuk puts the picture in our mind. Were you, were you mad at the rivers and the sea? The answer is no. He was mad at his own nation. He was upset with his own nation. And he was upset with the Chaldeans. What did the rivers do? What did the sea do? How come you're picking on them? That's not the point. You strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. And then he pauses again. If we get the flavor of it, if we get the flavor of it, we could feel the pressure of those verses from four to nine. And we would just say, whew, take a breath. This is, this is astonishing. This is amazing. This is a description of God's power that, that I can't even, can't even comprehend. He, he shakes creation, turns it upside down. And, and 
Mountains are affected. They're, they're scattered. They're flattened. The, the seas, everything. And, and then it just continues after the Selah in verse 9b. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you, a personification of mountains. They saw you and writhed. Ever see a mountain writhed? What a picture. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. Only God can do that. That's universal. Universal, global, local. At the light of your arrows as they sped. The sun and the moon stopped. That's the picture. What's going on? Hold on. Look, look at that. Look what happened. Did you see that? It stopped me in my tracks. But he's saying it's as, as if the sun and moon got stopped in their tracks. Did you see that? Did you see how fast the spear of God went out? Did you see how fast he marched through the earth in fury and threshed the nations in his anger? Even the sun and the moon, the picture is, just stopped and said, whoa, what's going on? You see the power. You, you see everything about the introduction about that song. You, you start to think, yeah, this is a shigioneth. Whatever it means, this is a passion thing. This is a vivid, passionate thing that he's talking about. And I think, I think the introduction was right. I think we better write this on the largest letters that there is so that everybody can hear because God is coming in judgment. The message that we would have now, the message that Paul said is, God has chosen a day when Christ is coming back. And therefore, he's required all nations to repent. All men everywhere repent. That's, that's what we have to do. And in the light of telling people they need to repent, and they say, no, 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 that'll never happen. Science rules. Christians rule. Whatever they would say. No. There will be a time when the sun and the moon, he pictures, would actually stop and say, look, did you see that? And it just continues as God fights against the wicked. But inside, inside that is a message in verses 12 and 13. You marched through the earth in fury and threshed the nations in anger. But what else? You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. There's that little piece, that piece that says Babylon is not going to last. And the goal is in wrath, remember mercy. That's the answer to the prayer in a sense. He builds it into his song. And then he's right back. You crush the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You, you just stripped him, crushed it. The picture, the picture before, what are the Chaldeans' houses going to be like? Like that eerie thing, something's going to cry out from the, the beam. Something's going to cry out for the wall. Did you hear that noise? Kind of spooky. But that's what's going to happen. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked. Nahum said it. You can 
set up your palace. You can set up your city. You can say, I have all the spoil of all the nations that I have. Look at my new furniture. Look at all the cloth that I have. We stole all this uh, silver and gold. Look at all those pots. Just go back to, to Amos. They, they were luxuriating on couches. Bring more wine. Do this, do that. And God says, no, I'm going to take that and just uh, destroy it. But in the middle, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And the message is to us, whatever ever goes on, and it could be terrible, it could be terrible, God's people will be saved. His anointed will experience salvation. But you have to live by faith and you have to trust God in anything. And if they come to your door and say, we heard you're a Christian, we're going to take stuff out of your house, we're going to steal. Could, could the Israelites say, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. No, because God determined, God determined that that would happen. Jerusalem would, would be gone. Then it built up again, then it was gone again in 70 AD. You went out for the salvation of your people. It's a prophetic, recurring word. Salvation, salvation, salvation. And mercy, and mercy, and mercy. Here's a picture in verses 14 and 15, the last that we'll cover for today. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. Now, how does that happen? That's, that's something like a YouTube thing, right? Watch what this guy does with the arrow. And you've seen those, haven't you? Somebody gets mad and they do something, right? There's a a story I remember about a, a young man who got mad at, in a golf game. A bad shot, nothing to really get mad over. Took the, took the club, smashed it on the bench, and the piece came back and just went, drilled him, and he died right there. Right there, half of the, half of the thing in his hand died because his shot went the wrong way. Well, that's, that's what God can do. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. How do you get killed with your own arrow? Who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. He's talking about, he's talking about the Chaldeans. They came to scatter me and God turned it around. They'll be killed with their own arrows. How did that happen? Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. Remember, that was the picture of the Chaldeans over and over. That's the picture of all those nations. Yay, our God beat your God, the Philistines. We captured the ark. We'll put it in there with Dagon because our God won the day. Our God did it. And the disgrace for the Israelites as they got carried away is what happened to your God? How come God's not protecting you? How come God's not looking out for you? And they became exactly what God didn't want them to become. Instead of an example of good and a, and a light to the nations, they became an example for evil. And there's the justice. It doesn't matter who you are. Oh, I said the sinner's prayer. Oh, I did this. Oh, I did that. It doesn't matter. 
you better make sure of your salvation. You better make sure of your confession. You better make, make sure because this could be child's play. This could be child's play in the light of what could happen in our world. They, they had armies. Some guys stood over there. Some guys stood over there. I was talking about that to somebody the other day. They said, that was crazy, wasn't it? You just line up and attack each other. That's crazy. Now it takes one person to make a decision. Flip the safety thing and press a button. That's all it takes. You saw it in the Iraq war. They could put a bomb down a stovepipe and blow up a house. Can you imagine the destruction that we could see in, in moments? The, then you would understand. Did the sun and the moon just stand still because half a million people just got wiped out by a nuclear war or whatever? This is what God is doing. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. The, the pictures are, are just graphic. And next week, next week, we'll see what his reaction is and his final, his final words to God, written down for everybody. And then, by the way, take this song and give it to the choir master. Take this song and find somebody that can have instruments. We all have to sing this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your abundant mercies are clear to us even in this one of the darkest chapters that we've looked at in the prophets. But we're thankful for Habakkuk taking uh, the prophetic reins, as it were, and leading and guiding us and the people in the proper views. Lord, we confess that we don't even know a thumbnail or a thimble full of what you could really do. And we pray that we would have faith in all the times that we will face in wrath, Lord, we pray that you would remember mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.